I hope that this moment and this reckoning doesn't end. But I, I don't trust that it's not going to just be a phase. A friend of mine keeps saying, my trauma is not your trend. And I don't trust that this isn't just going to be a, tr- a trend for certain people. For all of us, it can't be. It's our lives. Absolutely. Like, my pain is not posh. Like, I'm Black every day. <laughs> exactly. Welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. In this episode, we're keeping it to just family and we're getting real, perhaps realer than we've ever been with ourselves, with each other, and with each of you. The past few weeks have brought us to a moment in American history and Black culture, and we wanted to honor that with a real conversation about this moment and this movement. More than ever, we've been talking about what we as a Black community need, what we deserve, and how we want to move forward. So today, we're going to talk about just that, about love, community, and allyship in all of its forms. It feels especially relevant right now as we celebrate and honor Pride Month, a crucial time to recognize the LGBTQIA community and voices. It's also a time for us all to reflect on what allyship really is. So let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Chelsea, let's start with you, sis. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Sanders. I'm the VP of Communications and a producer on this podcast. And I'm excited to be here with family, ready to take a break, get a hug, and really just have this moment. Amen to a break and a hug. (laughs) Stephanie. Go ahead and say what's up to the people. Hey, guys, it's Stephanie Long. I am the senior editor for Unbothered on site, and I definitely share Chelsea's sentiment. It's been a heavy time for for all of us (laughs) this year. So just grateful to share this space with you guys and um, everyone listening. And last but certainly not least, Kathleen, how are you doing, sis? Oh, isn't that a loaded question? <laughs> Ain't it? <laughs> I'm Kathleen, the senior writer at Refinery29 Canada, and I am also grateful to be here. And I always feel better after we get together in this family. Um, and so I hope everyone listening will feel better after this convo, but I'm, I'm ready to like let stuff out mm. and feel lighter. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Feel lighter. Hi, everybody. I'm Danielle Cadet. I'm the managing editor of Refinery29 Unbothered. It feels so good to be here amongst family and to be able to have this conversation, um, not only with my incredible colleagues in these three ladies, but in the family that listens to this podcast um, and the community that we've created. When we started this podcast, we said 2020 got our order wrong, right? But I've been asking myself, like, maybe it didn't. Um, maybe this is the order that we never knew we needed, right? There's a reckoning happening right now, and there is a moment that I've never seen. I've worked in journalism for a long time. I've seen everything from Trayvon Martin to Michael Brown to Freddie Gray, and something feels different right now. And I want to get into that because we're seeing a lot of reaction, right? And I think at the very beginning of all of this, 
we saw a lot of brands kind of come out and whether that's post black squares on Instagram or say that Black Lives Matter, which to me has been ironic because like I've said, I've worked in this industry for a long time and there was a point I, where that was a statement that was really like, problematic for brands, Mm. right? Like saying Black Lives Matter was definitely something that folks were like, oh, but we want to stay away from that, you know? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the fact that brands have jumped to feel like they're going to be on the right side of history, right? You know, where's the action and are they putting their money where their mouth is? Like, you know, this performative allyship, which quite frankly, I think has, has made people more angry than silence. Yeah. And I think I understand the anger because to me, it's not like this is new. And it's not like this is the first time these brands are hearing that Black Lives Matter or that their executive list is too white or that they treat their employees in a certain way, which I know we're going to get into. With, like there's been Black people telling them this and now the fact that they are putting up these black squares and saying Black Lives Matter and blah, 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 feels super performative because it's reactionary. Mm, mm, and mm. I think that's where the anger is coming from. And, and it also, I don't trust that a lot of these brands are going to keep going past this moment. I hope that this moment and this reckoning doesn't end, but I, I don't trust that it's not going to just be a phase. A friend of mine keeps saying, my trauma is not your trend. And I don't, trust that this isn't just going to be a a trend for certain people. For all of us, it can't be. It's our lives. Absolutely. Like my pain is not posh. Like I'm black every day. Exactly. (laughs) Steph, I want you to hop in here going off of what Kathleen just said about trust. You know, what, what's your level of trust and, and how have you felt about the way brands have responded? I'm skeptical. I feel like also, because this is all happening in a very unique moment, right? Like we're here, we've all been home, we're in quarantine, we're on our timelines more. And I think that definitely, you know, again, this has been happening, but it's almost like we have nowhere else to look because we're here in front of our screens all the time. Mm. And it makes me think back to what Leslie Mack, um, the activist that I interviewed for the Stronger White Ally piece that we published, what happens when a lot of white people like learn that white supremacy is a thing or they, they really come into the gravity of exactly what's going on. They, they feel bad. And so what they do is they react by trying to alleviate themselves of those feelings. I'm wondering if that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. How much is it that they really want to create this change? What are they doing internally in their companies to create that change? I think it's easy. I think it's easy to kind of get on social media and say like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but what are you actually doing? Right. You know, I love what you say about feelings and this idea of needing to feel better. Chelsea, we've talked a little bit about this because you said that you've had a number of white folks reach out to you. And I want to take, I just want to say it right now and take responsibility for that because I wrote a piece that was entitled, Your Dear White People, Your Black Coworkers May Seem Okay, But They're Not. Um, and I feel like I've had so many black friends reach out to me like, damn, Danielle, why you write that? Like, why you got all these white folks reaching out to me? So I, I take full responsibility for the woke white women Olympics that you might all be experiencing right now. And I apologize to my family and to my sisters, but Chelsea, I I want you to talk about your experience in in that, in that realm a bit, because I know you've got a lot to share, sis. 
Yeah, and I'm telling you, all of the Karens are competing for gold right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Karen is trying to be Jesse Owens right now. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, I just, I've never seen the, like, the onslaught of people texting me, white friends that I never knew I had. I'm like, I have not spoken to you since the sixth grade, Jim. Put down your phone. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's like one of the things, Kelly, that you're saying that like my trauma is not a trend for you. And frankly, I'm not your priest. Mm. I cannot absolve you of your guilt that Mm. maybe you should be sitting in. Maybe you should be examining that Mm -hmm. and why you feel the need to come to me, who is, you know, hopefully not your only black friend to solve your guilt or your questions or to somehow make your fears go away. I have had those fears and I have had to have those conversations with myself by myself for so long. And for you to ask me to not only do that in this moment, but take on yours is is frankly, it's upsetting. I love what you said of just, this is, you know, I've been reckoning with this myself. One thing that I struggle with when my handful of of white friends have reached out to me, whether it's former colleagues or, you know, just people I've cultivated a relationship with, I find myself thinking, you know, if reaching out to me is making you feel better, you can miss me with that. I don't really know what you want me to do with that. I'm no, I'm not a charity. I don't like the pejorative nature that's associated with somehow supporting black people. And this idea that like, if you support a black business, it's like the same thing as giving money to a charity. Like Mm -hmm. I am not your charity and I am not here to take your feelings. You know what I mean? And so I struggle a lot with this idea of like, do you feel better about yourself because you went through your contacts and found your black folks and you can feel like you can lay your head down at night because you reached out to the black people in your phone? Exactly. And I think that when we're talking about performative allyship, it is so much social media. It is so much like everyone's trying to do this outwardly. And so if you're texting me or DMing me, oh, I really like that piece or I support you, I stand with you and I'm getting an onslaught of, of crap online, Right? where are you in my comments? Where are you, where are you tweeting? Where right. are you putting it front facing so that you get blowback as well? That's yeah. being an ally. Come on the front lines with me. Don't DM me and message me and call me so that it's it makes you feel better, like we're talking mm. about it, mm-hmm. but you don't have to face any of this. And I think that people are so scared to do that. Amen. They love to do a message, do it privately so that they can feel better. Be like, okay. I did that. I'm going to go to brunch now or whatever. Right. Digital, digital brunch. <laughs> Not everybody doing digital brunch. Some of these folks are acting like Rona is over. Okay. <laughs> True. Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all y'all that are at these tables. I see y'all. I see y'all. Rona's still here, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just want it to be louder. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you are going to try to be an ally on social media, be freaking loud about it. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And, and we all are in alignment here that we would be remiss to have this conversation without addressing the elephant in the room. We have to talk about the fact that Refinery29 has been called out and is in the middle of right now dealing with those exact accusations. And that creates a really, it's a complicated thing for Black employees. I can't speak for every Black person, but I don't know that I've ever been at a company that hasn't made a misstep, right? And that, that, there, that there hasn't been a point for me as a Black person where I've been like, dang, ugh, 
and it puts you in a position because now black folks are looking at you like, what's going on over there? And why, why is this happening? And so I think it's really complicated because of course, nobody knows the nuances of what happens for any individual, right? And I should acknowledge the fact that a lot of folks who have um, called out the company are, are, are individuals who are our former colleagues. So I don't want to say that they're calling anything out that they haven't been a part of because a lot of their a lot of their perspective comes from being within the walls of the company. But I do think that it's always difficult because as an employee at that moment, there are, might be certain things that you're working on or things that you're trying to change or battles that you're fighting that make it really hard. That's exhausting. And so, you know, I, I do think it's important that we talk as Black women who are within these walls, who are doing the work, who are trying to dig our heels in and make the change, but who are also frustrated. Steph, I want you to jump in here. Yeah, I mean, I know at the top of, um, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the, the protests and stuff like that, you know, by that point, on top of the pandemic going on, a lot of us are feeling exhausted. And, you know, you and I were checking in with one another. And I remember expressing to you this feeling of really wanting to show up, but also simultaneously, like, needing to lie down. Mm. and. That's so hard to do when a company who, despite, you know, positioning itself as an entity that, you know, strives for inclusivity and advocating for marginalized communities and, you know, all of these things inside structurally, like they don't know, like they they don't know how to respond in these sort of situations. And so they look to us to fix the problem. So then it becomes a point where it's like, do I take the time that I need or do I lean in? Because, right. you know, for example, you decide, okay, this is too much. So I'm gonna just go elsewhere. A, where else are we going to go? And B, even if we did have the option to go somewhere else, what does that make you look like when you just kind of step away from a situation that you have power to create change in? Like it almost mm-hmm. feels like betrayal. So it's yeah. like a really tricky position to be in. I love what you're saying because it's a personal reckoning, right? It's not just here's what's happening in the industry. It's like, what does this mean? What does this say about me? I I think we all have asked ourselves some really tough questions about like, where do I go from here? What do I stand for? It's like, not only is this, this reckoning happening with respect to diversity and respect for Black voices, but media has also had a financial reckoning. It's a, it, the industry is struggling. And I got to shout out Jenna Wortham who, who tweeted about this um, so poignantly. These reckonings are happening at the same time where even if there is room made for these incredibly talented Black voices, it's like, where, where are we going to go? Where's the money for us to do our best work? You know, and, and then you ask yourself like, what does this say about me if I walk away? So many things. I'm having a hard time finding the words because it's so complicated. And Chelsea, I know, you know, we're, we're all speaking from a perspective as writers, but I know that you, you specifically have dealt with this in your, in your own way professionally as well. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I was saying to uh, my friend last week is the last thing I expected to be doing this week is explaining my blackness Mm. Mm. to anyone, Mm. even to myself, Mm. because I've had these questions running, yeah, running through my mind of like, am I on the right side of history here? And I think like, that's what we're talking about here. Like, 
when we've been called up to have this moment and to stand up and be a part of this reckoning in the way that we know it needs to happen, how are we being the most of service to that moment and that reckoning? And for me, my answer has been to do the work, to try to understand and also just give myself grace because sometimes I'll be too tired to do it. But for right now and in this moment, I want to be able to say I have done all that I could. Mm. I want to be able to say that. And that is also what we've been here doing, which Mm. I think is something that also gets lost in this. But it is really hard because in a lot of ways, as a leader at this company, people come to us and I think we all, you know, have experienced that in our own ways. And it's tough to be seen as both like the problem and the solution. Mm. Mm. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think there's it's, there's a special kind of challenge that comes with being Black and having any semblance of influence in a company, in a newsroom, anywhere, right? Because you're constantly playing double Dutch, you're playing hopscotch, you're, you are navigating and sort of straddling these two lines or, you know, multiple lines. Um, you're managing up, you're managing down. Chels, I, you, you kind of blow me away with what you're saying. Like, you never expect to question your Blackness. Mm. to defend your Blackness to yourself or anybody else. And, and I think that this is a thing that so many, so many people I think can identify with. And I wonder, like, for the Black folks on the inside, is it like, dang, y'all, I'm trying. Like, I promise, like, just stick with me for a second. Like, I am trying to fix it. Kathleen, I know there's, there's specific stuff happening in Canada for you. Mm-hmm where you're reckoning with being a Black woman in media. I mean, I think this is why they say racism steals dreams. Because we just want to do the work. That has been the frustrating thing for me, I think my entire career, but especially in the past few weeks, has been I really just love this profession. I love this job when I get to do it without all of this other crap. Mm. And I want to be able to do that, but we've never been able to just do that. We're always either dealing with microaggressions, not getting paid what we're worth, seeing someone else get promoted over us, like all of the things that these companies are being accused of. And I want to say that I stand by and believe all the people who are accusing these companies, including this one, Mm. of their behavior in the past. Mm. And we've, we've had to deal with that, whether we wanted to or not. And so I'm so frustrated and and annoyed that the the talent that we have is being spent, the energy that we have is being spent on trying to fix these companies and defending our Blackness, as you said, Chelsea, like all of these things that have nothing to do with the work that we want to do. Mm. That pisses me off. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think of all the people that we've lost in this industry yes. who, who didn't want to do this fight anymore. Because yeah. I feel that, especially being in Canada, where there are so few of us, Black women writers and journalists, I mean, if anyone is listening as Canadian knows what we're going through right now, we're speaking up and then pe- white people are saying they're listening and then coming at us and getting mad at us for speaking up. And it's like, wait, I thought y'all said you were listening though. <laughs> you know. But I feel like I can't step away because who else is going to do this work? And are they going to do it in the, the way that I'm doing it? Mm. Mm. I, and so it's just, 
it's just really been frustrating and, and I've been crying about it and throwing shit and like <laughs> just getting mad. But, you know, talking it out with, with my colleagues and friends, black colleagues and friends. But yeah, everything we're saying here just even makes me more mad that we have to choose between our integrity and our jobs, our mm. integrity and our livelihoods. You know, I want to, I definitely want to take the time to say that the work on both ends is important, right? But it, everybody's just trying to do the work. We're all just trying to be black and do the work. My heart hurts for the amount of people in this industry that have just gotten tired and had to step away. You know, I wanted to become a journalism because of Khadija James on Living Single. Shout out to Queen Latifah. <laughs> and it's been heartbreaking to watch a lot of people, whether they were those original women that I admired or, or women and men that I came to admire who, who had to step out, right? Because it's exhausting and, and who had to just do what was best for them personally. You know, I wonder, Chelsea, and I want you to hop in here. Once the house is burnt down, what do we do? Where do we go from there? What are the next steps? What's the strategy? How do we move forward? Do we even move forward? Yeah, I think, and, and one of the things that I was having a conversation earlier yesterday is in burning the house down, are we forgetting to take our valuables with us, mm. right? Mm. And what does it look like once we've done that? Right. Something that actually Amanda Seal said on our last episode was that she is more in the habit of calling folks in than calling them out. Mm. And mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that is something really, really important that we need to think about, right? Because the only way that we can run is towards each other. Mm. And I know that like sounds so like easy, right? Okay, like good luck. We'll all join hands. I just know that right now, the only thing that I can put my faith in is my commitment, right? And I know that you guys can only do that same, but that little bit, from everybody, that's something that I can take with me because what you're describing with people like being burned out, whether that's in writing or just honestly like a black person in corporate America, right? Mm -hmm. Just the fact that like we feel so isolated, it's, there's, we can't even do it. So we have to just remove ourselves from that situation. And what I'm just trying to do is like, how can I make someone today feel less alone? Mm, and that's mm. like what I'm just trying to focus on mm. and what I can do again personally to make sure that this is not a moment, but it is a movement. I, I'm blown away by that. And I love that you say that. I think so many people feel alone right now and for so many reasons, right? Like this is isolating. We haven't been in our offices. We haven't been able to see each other. We can't give each other a hug. And, you know, I think all of us started off this conversation saying it just feels good to be with family because. It's been very lonely, you know, and this has felt very difficult. I want to move into something else that I know we really want to talk about is actions, you know, and how do we actually talk about actionable allyship and set ourselves up for success? Steph, I want to start with you because you're especially new um, to the company and I'm sure it has required some thoughtfulness on your part of just like, how am I part of the solution? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It's been interesting because I, I came in at a very interesting time. And then, you know, a lot of the people who have spoken up, and I also want to stress that I, I stand behind them as well. And I'm here to support them. You know, a lot of these things happened before I got here. 
So now that I'm here, I'm really thinking about, you know, as someone who's a part of this company and then both as a storyteller, what, what ways can I fix this? And so I'm thinking about how can I bring that to not only my team, but also our readers. I think right now it's really important that we're talking to each other more. You know, the other day I reached out to a colleague and was like, listen, I know that you and I have not interfaced very often, but just know that I'm here. Mm. I got you. You know, being a source of light to my teammates so that we can energize each other enough to get together and put our heads together and strategize how to make changes. I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm helping us to hold each other up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And there's power, I think, in in numbers. Like there's been power if there is something, maybe the most positive thing that has come out of the past few weeks is, is that stuff is like the reaching out to Black colleagues that maybe you hadn't talked to before and just having this feeling of we're together now. Yeah. But it does feel like there is such a, the reckoning is in part because we're all coming together and using those voices together and it's, and it's so loud right now mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, yeah. there's so much beauty in how, how loud and how necessary it feels right now. Mm. Chelsea, I want you to hop in on something that I've thought a lot about is like being the black women who are looked at to fix the problem and how complicated that is and how complicated that can feel. You know, I can say for myself that there's a lot of emotion that comes with that and a lot of questioning of yourself and others that comes with that. Am I being taken advantage of at this point? Can, am I going to be set up for success to actually implement real change and and also just as a black woman, you know, we talked about this in our money episode, like, are you going to pay me for this? Like, dog. <laughs> so yes. what else? You know, and Chelsea, I, I want you to hop in here because I just, <laughs> I know you have thoughts, sis. I have thoughts that I also have a job. Straddle that, <laughs> <laughs> that line, sister. Go ahead. <laughs> I also want to be clear that like a lot of this is gaslighting. Mm. feeling isolated or feeling like we're the only two people, Danielle, in the world who can fix this problem, that is gaslighting. Mm -hmm. This problem is ours to fix Mm -hmm. and that it is in some ways our fault for not speaking about this sooner, Mm. right? And that this is our fault for making trouble where there is none. Mm. Mm. So I have to honestly like keep telling myself that, that like, Mm. hey, no, I'm not doing too much in this moment. You aren't doing enough. And that needs to like frame the way that I'm coming at these conversations. I'm saying, you know what? I would love you to come to me with some thoughts on this. Mm. And I understand if you're nervous. I understand if you don't know what to say or you feel lost. I am actually not here to judge you in this moment. I actually would just like to have a real conversation about what you think you should say right now. Mm. I'm really trying to be more specific in the way that my colleagues can also support me just in general. If they're asking for ways to support me, that's how. Use your voice. Going back to what you said, Kathleen, be loud. I mean that in the meetings. I mean that in the rooms. I mean that in the Zooms. That's the other thing. I think I I don't want you to fail at this because if you fail, we all fail, right? That's the other thing that like, this is a collective energy. And that so like, I want you to do this research. I want you to think about your behavior and I want you to change because I want all of us to change. 
I think we've talked a lot about allyship from a, a professional standpoint. I want to talk about allyship from a personal standpoint. So I want to admit that I don't have a lot of white friends. My husband and I often talk about how many people, white people, were at our wedding. There were not a lot of them. But I don't have a lot of white friends. And again, while I can take responsibility for perhaps being the reason why your white friends may have reached out to you in these last couple of weeks, <laughs> I can't say that I have experienced a lot of that because I've curated a life where I don't have that many white friends. Chelsea and Kathleen, I know that is different for you. Stephanie, you don't have a lot of white friends either, sis, do you? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I will say I do, I have two white roommates. Well, they're white presenting, but I think- Important distinction. Yeah. But I think what's made my experience in this household so- harmonious is the fact that they are very Mm self-aware and they are very woke. So you will see them on social media, you know, posting the Black Lives Matter. They did Blackout Tuesday. They're reposting articles and things like that. But then I also see them, you know, doing the work outside of that. So like one of my roommates, she went to go protest. Um, And then I hear my other roommate talking to her family members at home um, and having really important discussions. So I see where they're actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, like I... I haven't haven't had white friends since like probably middle school. I went to a white Christian school. I mm. went to college in Miami. I was surrounded by black and brown people. And mm. that's just how my life <laughs> fell into place. And I also went to a white Christian school and I'm still friends with uh, some of those people. And it has been, I mean, we have grown apart. Absolutely. I would not consider us as close or as best friends as we were in high school or growing up together because of everything you just said. But I think that I, I want them to, again, do the work on their own. And some of them have, like one of my friends reached out and said that I posted something and she sent it. She's a teacher and she sent it to her principal and that now they're going to start teaching this uh, anti-black racism resources in her school. Mm. That's a great update. Give me that update. Yeah. One of my best friends is a white woman. She has been so loud on social media. She gets in there in the comments. She fights, fights, so I don't have to. Mm. And that to me is an ally. I think it's also if you don't surround yourself, that friend that I'm mentioning also has other black friends. Some of the girls I grew up with do not. I am their only black friend. And so the the burden, it does feel a little bit sometimes like a burden on me to educate them or to be the person they ask about all of this stuff. And that is frustrating and, and isolating for sure. Mm. As much as I love them. Yeah. And... All of that, Kathleen, because I think, so here's the thing. I grew up around a lot of white people and I grew up around a lot of black people at the same time. I went to a majority white school, predominantly white institution. I chose which school I wanted to go to, Mm -hmm. but also by a factor of the, of the way, again, that the world is structured. So Mm -hmm. the places that I wanted to be in and the rooms that I wanted to be in didn't have a lot of black people in them. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, okay, I'm here. And I will be the loudest one in this room. You will hear me. And I think like that has always been 
something that I have taken on for better or worse. Mm. I was talking to my friend also who grew up very similarly. And she said to me, I have five white friends and that's enough. <laughs> One for every day of the week. And I'll take that. <laughs> She's maxed out. And frankly, it sounded like a good plan to me. I, <laughs> this, this, I see no issues with this, but I also am really cognizant of the fact that I do love these people and I've shared experiences mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them have come to me in a way that I feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Some of them have not. Again, those are people that I'm like, I did not know you were my friends at all. But the ones who I have relationships with and again are also maybe not even white, but they're part of other minority communities mm-hmm. or um, non-Black, you know, minority communities. So they are also coming at this with another perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting for me because that's the other thing of like not knowing what the other quote unquote side is feeling. And, and that's important, right? Because I think about that all the time. Like, you know, as a person who also grew up in very white spaces and just kind of just purposely made the choice to kind of take myself out of that, I, I do sometimes, I talk about this with my sister a lot, who again is married to a white man and who is actually in very white spaces to this day. And, you know, the, the, it's necessary, right? Like allyship is necessary. I know that we are all frustrated and we're exhausted and, you know, I'm, I'm not taking up any role to educate white people, but I do realize how important it is in order for this, this work has to be done intersectionally in order for any change to actually happen. We can't keep talking in our echo chambers and expect folks who have no exposure to Black people or who disagree with us to, to hear that. That's just not going to happen, especially the way that the world is set up right now, the way that social media works. It's so easy to never come into interaction with someone who disagrees with you, which is quite frankly terrifying. And my hat is off to you, sisters, who are doing that work, because I'll tell you right now, all the other, I, 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 I must recuse myself. I can't. Well, I will say though, as much as there, I'm around white people a lot, especially with like my partner's friends. There are some conversations I will not have that I refuse to have. Yes. and I think that's a big part of it too. Yes. if you are in a space with white people, know that you can walk away. That is a great point. Set your boundaries. Ooh. And that's something that like I recognize also that like in a place that I, I feel comfortable with friends to do that. But you are absolutely right. You need to be very clear. And again, specific. I do not want to speak about this or I feel uncomfortable when you speak about this. Mm-hmm. So again, there is no room to deny that, to mm. gaslight or to try to make you feel bad about your feelings because you should never feel bad about your feelings. They are always valid. Amen. Pastor Sanders, once again. Pastor Sanders <laughs> right there. I don't even know where to start. But <laughs> Kathleen, sister, I'm looking at you. You have a white partner. I do. And, you know, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the complications that come with that. And and what does allyship look like for you in your relationship? Ooh, how much time we got? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? I think that I've been with my partner for eight years. You know, we talk about race and allyship a lot. Uh, We talk about it a lot less now because he knows now. Mm. He knows in times like this that not to ask me anything, (laughs) (laughs) to do the work on his own 
and he does allyship stuff, you know, donations and pulling up his friends that I never hear about. And I think that's part of it because mm. I don't want to be doing that work for you. I don't need the emotional tax of taking that on with you. Mm. That's on you. Mm. You know, as Toni Morrison says, take me out of it. Mm. And he, <laughs> he has been able to do that. But I think that what's interesting about the conversation around allyship and relationships and being in an interracial relationship particularly with a white person right now is that I'm seeing all this stuff on social media about, you know, we're having the hardest conversations we've ever had or uh, we're getting so uncomfortable. And it's like, if now is the time you're talking about this stuff with your partner, that's a problem. Child. <laughs> that I'm, I'm shocked. Like, this is the first time you were talking about her husband. I'm like, this is the first time you're having these conversations and y'all are married. My eyes are like rolling so hard into the back of my head at that. I am in an interracial relationship, as we have noted. And I am telling you, no one cares. <laughs> that is the general rule with me about my interracial relationship. You'll never see me on YouTube with a swirl video or whatever. <laughs> and me swirl. and my man, we're a good we're a good looking couple, but I don't no one cares about us. There is no struggle of uh black woman and a white man together or a black man and a white woman especially together <laughs> that is that is a bigger struggle than black couples mm. i would rather see black love represented black love put at the forefront and celebrated than anything else mm. no one cares <laughs> and especially the people who are just like draping up their like white men for being allies right mm. now and putting that all out on social media again no one cares. This is not about them. They're going to be fine. They're already fine. Let them do the work without the cookies. Say it with your chest, sister. It's just like, who is this for? Who, who is, is it this for? Right. And I think, you know, th at the crux of what you're saying is, you know, that there's work that your, that your partner is going to have to do. And that has nothing to do with you as a partner, as as the black partner in the relationship. It's not your job to teach that person, to praise that person, to pat that person on the head when they do something. It, 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 those things can be separate and that is okay. Yes. And I, and I will say though, there are certain things that I cannot talk to him about. He, like for example, I have not been sleeping. He has been sleeping fine. Mm. That is a hard thing. Mm to be like, this is the partner that I'm spending the rest of my life with because we are engaged and not feel like he is in this as much as I'm in it in that he's also losing sleep with me. Mm. And I don't know if I have, if I had a black partner, if he would also be losing sleep with me, but it feels like that in this moment. Sis, my husband be snoring every night. So let me just, and he's black. <laughs> <laughs> and he's real black. Okay. Y'all go ahead and look at my Instagram. That man black. And he's snoring. I mean, this is this is what my therapist says, where she's like, you're wanting things out of him that like you wouldn't get out of a black man. Either, His ass but. is asleep. His ass sleep. Um, <laughs> but speaking of allyship within our relationships, I think we also have to think about allyship across the aisle, right? And we have to think about non-black people of color. One question that I have for all of you is this, this acronym that is now so popular, BIPOC, which... Steph, you said you had to make sure you knew what it was. <laughs> Listen, I literally like had to Google it the other day because I see it everywhere. And 
I get it, but I just feel like we have so many acronyms and I worry that all of the identities and their experiences that get lumped into these acronyms just get meshed together. Mm. And all of our experiences look so different. So I'm not against it, but I just feel like we have to be very careful with where and how and why we're using it. My issue with it is, you know, I think we so often look for catch-all phrases when what we're specifically asking for in this movement is to say our names and to be specific about the struggle Mm -hmm. and to specifically address these certain things as Black struggles, struggles within the Black community, struggles within the Indigenous community, struggles within the Latinx community. I don't want a term that catches all of those things in one umbrella. I want, a tr- I want us to do the work of being specific because every time we do the catch-all, it makes it easier for us to kind of blanket over the issues. And the reality to your point, Steph, is we're not, having, we're not all having the same experience. And I also want to use this moment to talk about the fact that the movement is nuanced, right? And that there are multiple struggles within the movement. And when we say Black Lives Matter, we've got to be talking about all Black lives. We all feel really strongly about the fact that we would, again, be remiss to have this conversation without acknowledging the LGBTQIA community and particularly the Black LGBTQIA community. Um, we struggle with that as a community. And, and last season, we had a really great episode about homophobia within the Black community. And right now, we're at a moment where we really have to talk about Black trans folks and how Black trans men and women are being left out of this conversation in a very scary way. And the fact that people are dying um, just in the same way that black men and women are dying, that black cis men and women are dying because black trans men and women are black men and women. So if we're going to talk about black lives mattering. We've got to talk about all black lives. Chelsea, I know you specifically felt like this was very important for us to discuss. Yeah. And I think all the things that we're talking about too is these like no-no words, right? Or these like no, these conversations that we're not allowed to have, like the this idea that when we name it like BIPOC or we're talking about it using like coded language, that black becomes a bad word in a mm. way, right? Mm, and I yes. think the more fear we have around these words, the more power we give them to hurt us. We need to say everyone's name and we need to be very specific and clear because we know some people have some reading comprehension problems Mm. when we say black lives matter that Mm. means black trans lives matter that means black women's lives matter that means black gay lives matter Mm. these are all part of the black experiences and they need to be protected and preserved and celebrated Mm. and when I'm having a conversation with some of my friends in the queer community who are saying all of these things you're talking about I'm also questioning and I'm asking myself around my part in this community, around the queer icons that I look up to and asking Mm. more of them and more of them to stand up and to support. To your point, Danielle, we we need to be doing more of is like reaching across that aisle and saying, these are all, this is the space for us to have an intersectional conversation because if not now, when? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the specificity is so, so important. And I'm seeing this in to go back to some of the messages we're seeing from companies and, and social media. It's so vague. Mm. And I want people to say Black trans lives matter mm. and say the names of our brothers and sisters, trans brothers and sisters who are dying. Mm. And even say the word Black. Mm-hmm. And I think that that goes back yes. to the BIPOC or BIPOC yeah. acronym, which I actually think was started in Canada. So apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take responsibility for this. But I will say that I think it was born and I understand that now it's been, you know, diluted yes. and changed, but it was born out of trying to be more specific mm. because l- lumping Black and Indigenous, especially in Canada, our Indigenous community, uh, you know, as we know, is is has gone through so much hurt and pain and still does in our country. And they are killed at disproportionate amounts by our police as well. Mm. And so it was born out of trying to, to specify Black, Indigenous, and people of color mm. instead of just loop, lumping Black and Indigenous into people of color. Kind of similar to, I don't want to equate them exactly, but to the like LGBTQ right. plus acronym. But yes, I think that my point is we need to say what we're talking about. So even if BIPOC is your BIPOC is your blanket term for, hey, there's some stuff going on. When you're talking about the stuff, say who it's happening who to. It, and that and that is, I think, the important thing is it say who you're talking about. Say the word black. We're so afraid of the word black. I've been called African American so many times. I don't identify <laughs> as an African American. I've I am Caribbean. I identify as Black American. I identify as first generation Black American, but I don't identify as African American. Kathleen, you were saying you get called African American. You're not even American, sis. Like, right? No, I'm Canadian, but people are trying to be polite and they're like, oh, you're African American. And it, it's like, like which part? we spend so much time trying to be polite that we, we, and it proves that at the root of it, we are afraid to say the word black as if blackness is some type of bad thing. But say the word black, say the word trans, say who this person is, because that's how we truly show up as allies, is we acknowledge identity. And if you strip me of my identity, that's offensive. And so I I think that part of, you know, if we're talking about actionable allyship, it is being specific because you can't sit here and erase people. That's, That's the point of what we've said this whole time is that we keep trying to erase who people are and by ignoring these very important identities, race, sexuality, gender, whatever it is, we are erasing people. And, and it's simple, simple as that. We have reached the point in the podcast where we traditionally, we traditionally do Don't At Me at this point. And uh, we decided to skip Don't At Me this episode because this whole episode is a Don't At Me. And as Auntie Nene Leak says, I said what I said. And I think all of us have said what we said. And we ain't got nothing else to say. So thank you for joining us for this conversation. Protect your peace, sisters. Lean on your family, chosen and otherwise. We are sending you light and love in these difficult times. And we are hoping for and working towards a better tomorrow. Season two of the Go Off Sis podcast was made possible by Target. 
your summertime style destination. Sunkissed skin, bold fashion, undeniable confidence, summer is still happening. And this season, Target makes it easy for you to celebrate your melanin, soak up some sun, and bring your best summer style to life, whether you're on your balcony or in your backyard. Their inclusive range of summer wardrobe essentials are here to glow you up no matter what. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all the new looks. Because wherever you are, you know we're keeping that same summer energy. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It's produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders, Kathleen newman Bramang, and Stephanie Long. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Yeah.